Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, welcome to Star Wars Fun for Everyone, especially me. I'm your host, Tom Sutton. My fellow Star Wars enthusiasts. I have to say that right now, I want you to picture me as that, uh, that guy in the Monty Python sketch. The fat guy in the restaurant who's just eating everything in sight. And then um, the waiter... Uh, tries to convince him to finish off the meal with an after-dinner mint, and he explodes at that point. It's just, I feel like I'm at a Star Wars all-you-can-eat buffet, and I have no self-control whatsoever. I just, like, seriously, after, after last week's episode of The Mandalorian, I think most of us were expecting a bit, you know, that they would pump the brakes a bit, take the foot off the gas... You know, we hit you with something something big. Episode four was a pretty big episode too. Um, and, you know, we I think most of us thought that this was probably going to be a bit more of a, a villain of, you know, monster of the week kind of thing just to uh, give us a break before the, the big, you know, the last episodes... It, kick us into the end of the season but <laughs> we were extremely uh wrong about that they just uh they just went harder uh bonkers um yeah we got a bunch of stuff to talk about we're gonna jump back in out into our uh solo rewatch uh scene by scene rewatch that's gonna be great i got a few um bits and pieces from uh, the making of The Empire Strikes Back from J.W. Rinsler. But of course, our main topic is uh, Chapter 14 of The Mandalorian. Um, yeah, I, ha I see that I am not alone in my uh, feelings. Uh, it seems like everyone in the Star Wars community has gone nuts for this episode. And rightly so. It's just like, <laughs> like so much... Yeah, it's almost too much, you know. Um, there's there's so much uh, in that episode to talk about. Um, let's uh, start from the beginning. The you know, I think um, in general, uh, it, it's pretty common for the episodes to start with a uh, with a bit of a cute. Uh, Din Djarin, Baby Yoda action, and this was one of those episodes. But it was a really lovely, it was lovely. Like, um, you had them, you know, kind of uh, bonding a bit. I heard someone on another podcast mention that this is the first time you've heard the Mandalorian laugh. And um, it's... Uh, <laughs> He's just saying Grogu's name. It's uh, it's lovely, and um, I think it's so nice that you know he's there, kind of uh, talking Grogu through this. You know, the idea that if he um, if he finds a Jedi, that Grogu has to go with him. You know, because that's what's best for Grogu. But it's pretty clear that he's he's 
he's talking to Grogu, but he's more or less trying to convince himself because you can really see that his affection for that uh, little green guy has um, grown over the you know over the last thirteen episodes, and um, I I really think the uh, the progress of his um, of his um, his feelings for Grogu has has been really well done. Like I think that all of us fell in love with that little kid the first second we saw him. Um, so, you know, you could have just had Dean Jaron go like, he is my new best friend, you know, um, but it's going through stages, you know, at first he was willing to just, you know, give him up as, as arranged and, but then he realized that it was the wrong thing to do and, but he didn't want to hold on to this kid at all, you know, and then the the quest. And, but now you, you're really starting to see that um, he's got feelings and uh, it's it's really nice to see. Um, I was pretty amazing that they went straight to Typhon or Tython. I can't remember what it is. I thought that that would be something that they would really build up to. And I, I really expected us to see the... Um, the climax of the whole se- of the whole season there probably but yep i was wrong on that um i thought i really liked the shots of them going into land or like seeking out that the seeing stone um that that um <laughs> that line you know we're going to have to uh was it go the rest of the way with the top down or whatever um and just seeing him flying with uh, Baby Yoda's ears flapping around, that was really nice. Um, so, like, already we're we're at the Seeing Stone, and I'm kind of surprised. And uh, Grogu starts doing his thing, and <laughs> what comes out of the sky but Slave One. Now, man, Slave One is cool. You know, sometimes you maybe you've had the experience where you know you love something and you you wonder if like what percentage of your love for that is just uh, nostalgia, and what percentage of it is because it's actually good. Um, I don't know, but seeing the the slave one in this episode, I just think it's a brilliant design. Um, Star Wars, like a good Star Wars design, I think it's always a magic mix of cool and ugly with a dash of ridiculous. And Slave One is absolutely that. So seeing that coming and, you know, you get Fett walking down the ramp and it's just like, is this, is this what's going to happen? Is this, is this happening now? Like they're going for this right now? Unbelievable. And it just makes me like really happy about, um, you know, how they teased his return all the way back in chapter five. And um, again, like I have my reservations about the show. I have reservations about this episode. We'll get to those. Um, But it does so many things so right. And stuff like the, uh, the pacing of the return of Boba Fett has been awesome. You know, just teasing him in in chapter five, 
in a way that really only the super nerds would even uh, know, you know, or even uh, notice, which of course we did. Um, and then, you know, uh, in chapter nine, Boba Fett, um, yeah, appeared right at the end of that episode. And now we get his r proper reintroduction. Um, dude, Tamuera Morrison as Boba Fett was awesome. Like, when it comes to Boba Fett, I, like, I really, I have always um, agreed with the idea that his mystery was a big part of the appeal of the character. And I really felt that including him as a child in episode two was a horrible <laughs> mistake. Um, it seemed like a total misunderstanding of what makes the character attractive to people. I would have been happy to have him as a mostly silent hunter in every, you know, whatever form he appears in. Um, I didn't really want to know more about him. Definitely didn't want to see him without the armor on. Um, but this has changed that. And it even makes me slightly okay with his appearance in episode two. I like him in the, Glo in the Clone Wars, by the way. Um, but Tim Morrison... What, like, like I, it really bothered me in the in the in the Empire Strikes Back um, special editions when they put uh, Tamara Morris's voice in instead of the original Boba Fett voice. Um, you know, partly because I don't didn't like that whole thing in Episode Two, and that reminded me of that. You know, um, but when you see him in this episode it's really like it's exactly ah i don't know it was just amazing when he shows up he appears you know robed he's got the gaffy stick he's got the the tuscan style rifle he's got the amazing ammunition belt it's um man so good and the way he talks like I think it's it's hard to play a character that that's that is that kind of um, reserved in a way. Like, there's not going to be a lot of emotion shown, you know, and it's hard to express character and attitude without, um, you know, being able to go for bigger, you know, emotional stuff on the face and whatever. But he just oozed character and charisma. It was amazing. Um, I love the scarring. It just makes him look super tough. Um, I, like, the voice was killer. Um, like, other Australians will understand that, you know, a lot of countries have a little brother country that they kind of make fun of. Americans make fun of Canadians. Um, Australians make fun of New Zealand accents. Sorry, we do. Um, so I think it, it was always a little bit like, are you serious? Like the toughest, like most dangerous bounty hunter in the galaxy. 
says fish and chips like the clone army are walking around sounding like flight of the concords like who i love of course but it's just like yeah i was <laughs> sorry it's just you know growing up with my with laughing at uh you know or not laughing about poking fun at new zealand accents a little bit um, but his voice in this uh, episode was awesome. Super, just like tough, uh, but cool. And um, that line, you know, like, if you want my armor, you're going to have to peel it off my dead body. And just goes like, I don't want your armor. I want my armor. Oh, that was Killara. I loved that. Um, so, I mean, if we're talking Boba Fett, we have to talk about the big revelations that uh, came out about his about his character, his father's character, and their background. Um, the nerds out there will realize will know that um, there was a pretty bewildering moment in a Clone Wars episode at one point where Obi Wan goes to Mandalore. And asks them about Django Fett. And I don't know if it's like, is his name Marek or something? I think he's the prime minister or something. Or the chairman or something. I don't know. I can't remember. But he tells Obi-Wan that Django Fett is he's not a Mandalorian. He has Mandalorian armor perhaps, but he's not one of us. And, of course, everybody was like, what now? Jango Fett and Boba Fett are not Mandalorians. Okay. Um, it was confusing. Uh, and it didn't... Like, if it had been done in a way where... Like, it served some purpose in the story. Or, you know, the purpose of that was not really clear to anybody. Um, I think it was just a George thing. Perhaps, you know, because he was setting up Mandalore as this, you know, this this uh, planet of pacifists. Maybe he didn't want these uh, people who are obviously warriors involved. But um, thankfully, in this episode, we have a final answer that clears this up um, and fixes that in a way. Um, and he says that, um, that, uh, his father was a foundling. So not born on Mandalore, not Mandalorian by blood, but Man Mandalorian by creed and that he fought in what they, he called it the Mandalorian civil war, which I'm a bit unclear about. What does that mean? Is that the war between Concord Dawn and yeah, I gotta I feel like I have to do a bit of research on that. Uh, now it's possible that this Marrick guy would look at uh, a foundling who fought against his uh, his you know his Mandalore in a civil war. Maybe he would look at them as not uh, not Mandalorians, but um, yeah. I like this version of it. Yes, 
Django Fett is a Mandalorian. Yes, Boba Fett is a Mandalorian. End of discussion now. Awesome. Love that. Um, yeah, we got we got the return of uh, Fennec Shand. Awesome. She was yeah, she was too cool to to uh, only have in one episode. Um, uh, is it a little bit like huh, okay, another person who died didn't die? Um, if it's a cool character who I would like to see more of, then I'm all right with that. And that was the case here. Um, she was cool in this episode. Um, really nice. Uh, yeah. Now, it was a, I mean, it was a tight episode, 32, 33 minutes. Um, so all this good stuff started happening pretty quickly. Uh, you get a troop transport land with a squad of stormtroopers. And um, yeah. Boba Fett and Fennec Shand get to work on dismantling them while um, Din Djarin heads up the hill to try to pull uh, baby Yoda out of his uh, trance on the Seeing Stone. And um, another thing about Boba Fett thankfully gets put to rest, which is the... Um, the oh, he's not even that cool. He never really did anything people because guess what now he's done a whole bunch of stuff um he was great like a real like menacing presence on screen he was great in the in those action scenes great in the fight scenes um him with that gaffy stick was cool as hell um fennec shan was cool in those those shootout scenes um i mean i would say that so here we can say, you know, one of the things I didn't love about the whole episode was um, the environment looked very earthly. I think that like, I, so, you know, I grew up in South Australia and it's a very arid environment. And um, so it doesn't look exactly like what we saw in this episode, but it looks a lot like it. This kind of like scrabbly uh dirt and these kind of thirsty looking plants it's 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 really what a lot of what south australia looks like and yeah so i heard people who live in california have uh had the same experience where watching this episode they're like that looks like it could have been shot like 20 minutes from here you know um I don't think they did themselves really any favors with that. Some people, admit, uh, they described it as looking like a fan film because, of course, you know, fan films are produced on budgets where people do have to just go and find, a, you know, a uh, go out into uh, local areas to shoot. You know, they can't um, make it look particularly alien. And I thought that the this kind of bright sunlight was... It was not the best choice, perhaps. So I like, like, I really like how the La Henge, as they said, uh, how that looked, and um, you know, on the on the approach, that looked really cool. But I think the the whole kind of like fight scenes and, and shootout and everything, yeah, I'm not sure. 
Like, I think they could have done something to give it a bit more atmosphere and make it less earthly looking. Uh, but the, the, that shootout, the fight scene, the fight scenes itself, to me, it was uh, like some amazing shots and stuff. But I still sometimes see a shot here, here or there, which I feel like would have been improved on if it was shot for a film. Like, like dickheads who won't shut the fuck up about that uh, amazing fight in The Last Jedi between, um, with Ray Kylo and the, the guards. And ha- like, they would say like, oh, there's shots where, like, she'll be fighting one one guard and the other guards like within you know a range to where he could just attack her from behind but he doesn't and i just go like <sighs> like if you're looking for that you can find it but if you're trying to enjoy yourself you're probably not going to notice that but this there were so many moments in this episode where like they're shooting down on these stormtroopers and like one guy, one stormtrooper is shooting and the other six of them are just kind of like, oh, oh, maybe, oh, what's going on? Maybe I should, oh, I'm getting shot down. Oh, you know, it just like to me, there's these kind of like things where, I mean, your heroes have to be outgunned and outnumbered. Otherwise, it's not heroic. Like I, that's action cinema. Um. And this episode had a lot of moments like that, I thought. And I think you can get away with it if you're if the edits are fast enough and the action is exciting enough. But this one had a couple where it just felt a little bit like uh, stormtroopers were being a little too useless or a little too happy to just stand there and get shot. And uh, yeah. yeah. So that was another thing I didn't love 100%. Um, yeah, it was cool. Uh, I, I really, I really liked how, uh, Din Djarin tried multiple times to break through that, um, that beam of energy that surrounded Grogu to try to pull him out to get him out of there. I don't know. I, I kind of like that, that tenacity and, and that he cares enough to keep trying I, I thought that was cool. Um, uh, what came after that? Yeah, so he got he he basically realizes he's he's not going to get Baby Yoda out of that thing, and um, heads off to help. Uh, you get another squad of stormtroopers arriving. Um, yeah, it was cool uh, to see. Yeah, the rest of that then. I mean, as soon as, like, Boba Fett, he looks over and looks through, looks in through the, uh, the open door of the Razor Crest. Yeah, and you're like, no way, is he going for, he's got, is he going for the armor? (gasps) Oh, shit. Which, of course, he does. Now, um... I would absolutely have assumed that if you're going to bring Boba Fett back in the armor, 
the moment that you reveal that character, you would have him looking exactly like he did in Return of the Jedi. Because that's what all the Boba Fett fans love, is that look. And if you're going to bring that character back, of course, you want that moment to be like Boba Fett as we know him and love him. But it was kind of interesting that when he got the uh, when he got that armor on and revealed himself, he a um, was not dressed exactly the same as we remember him from the original trilogy films. Uh, he he kind of incorporated the black robes that he was wearing, which was um, it was a cool look actually. I liked how that I liked that style. The other thing is that Tim Morrison is, he is an aging dude, actually. And physically, he is not at all the same shape as uh, the people who played Boba Fett in, or especially Jeremy Bullock. He's absolutely not the same body shape as Jeremy Bullock. Um, so he, he looked pretty stocky or a bit round in the middle, shall we say. Um, now, if this had been longer away from Return of the Jedi, you would be like, well, he's older now. That's not so weird. Uh, we all age. <laughs> uh, but this is set five years-ish after Return of the Jedi. So you would assume that he would be pretty much the same shape. So, um... Yeah, uh, I've seen some Boba Fett, more like Boba Fett jokes. Um, yeah, it's all right. I'm sure um, I would be more than capable of putting that much more weight on my stomach within five years if I had to. <laughs> Maybe Boba Fett's been... Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Enjoying the all-you-can-eat buffet a bit as he's been traveling around the galaxy. Whatever. I think that um, he looks cool. I think it's like it's kind of a ballsy move to not have him look exactly like we remember him. But it's cool. I mean, if you're gonna go like if we're gonna bring a big character back like this and go like this is not this is not just gonna be like a nostalgia trip. This is um, it's gonna be something. You know, we're gonna. This is a real character, a real a real person whose um, story is not yet finished. Then it's cool to have him look a bit different than he did back uh, in those movies. Um, but I mean, there were some killer moments. He looked great with a handgun. He used the knee rockets, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, but it's been, you know, part of the. Um, the Boba Fett costume since the beginning. And to see him use those finally was a pretty awesome. Um, yeah, that was cool. And then the moment where he uses the, the viewfinder or whatever that thing is, the rangefinder, launches the rocket, blasts one of the transports out of the sky, which then crashes into the other one, bringing them both down. Oh, and one of the, one of the best lines of the of the of the episode, where uh, 
Dean says, nice shot. And he goes, I was aiming for the other one. <laughs> That's good. Love that line. And then we get possibly the most shocking moment of the entire fucking episode when Moff Gideon's ship fires on the Razor Crest and fucking nukes it. <laughs> Just vaporizes his ship. Seriously, my mouth was, my jaw was as low as it goes. Uh, my uh, mouth open and not for five seconds, but like probably 45 seconds to a minute. Mouth open. Like, I can't believe they've done that. Especially after selling almost 30,000 uh, Haslab Razor Crests. <laughs> Oh my god. Like I applaud the guts of doing that. But I'm sad, man. That ship was cool as hell. It was a huge part of uh, his character to me. Like and a big part of the visual like uh, personality of the show. We've had so many episodes where it almost got totally butchered and he he pulled it together and got it fixed up again, you know. And now it's just dust. Oh, so sad. Can't believe it. So what does that mean? So, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that part in a second. All right. So, um, Baby Yoda's signaling, we have to assume, was successful in some way. Who's coming to dinner? These are the names that have been thrown around. The biggest and the most obvious, I guess, is Luke Skywalker. Would I like to see that? Yes. <laughs> A thousand percent. Um, you know, the, the, the famous fan cast is a fan casting is of course Sebastian Stan. Um you know what it made me think about today is that so Luke Skywalker Skywalker is my favorite character of all time. Um, and uh, of course, I would love to see Mark Hamill play him forever, if that were possible. But since that, of course, is not possible, you know, uh, once I saw people talking about Sebastian Stan, I, like, A, I think visually he's a great fit. B, he's done a bunch of action stuff already. Um, so I think that he would be a great physical presence in uh, in action scenes. And C, he seems like a good dude. He's He seems likable. And that, that matters to me when it comes to Luke Skywalker. So I'd be totally into that. But I was thinking about the other like uh, very um, successful recasts in the history of Star Wars. Uh, the most popular one ever, I guess, would be Obi-Wan Kenobi when Ewan McGregor took over for Sir Alec Guinness. Uh, some other notables are Alden Ehrenreich taking over Han Solo, which I love. Um, uh, Lando Calrissian... Um, Oh my God, I've gone blank. Childish Gambino. That's so weird. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. That was a 10 out of 10 recast. Mon Mothma, 
10 out of 10. Um, Jan de Donna. I like the guy that they got to play Jan de Donna in Rogue One was great, but he was a bit too like he's not too young, but he's a bit too youthful and handsome. I think Jan de Donna in episode four really came across as a, a furry old man, uh, but still, still good. Um, and of course, we had Rosario Dawson or Rosario Dawson um, taking on the character of Ahsoka Tano in the last episode of The Mandalorian, which I also give a fat 10 out of 10. Um, and it made me think a little bit like, are there any characters in Star Wars that I would not be okay with uh, with being recast? And you know what? There is one, and that is Ray. I don't know why that is. You know, when I've loved um, I've loved Luke, Han, Leia. I've loved them all for 40 years. This is my 40th anniversary of being a Star Wars fan. I've loved those characters for 40 years. And if they announced tomorrow, uh, Luke's back in whatever, played by Sebastian Stan, for example, I'd be like, cool, bring it on. Um, if, uh, you know, they were like, we're going to introduce um, Princess Leia into this. She's going to be played by blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, let's do it. Let's see how good it, maybe it can be great, you know? Um, but when it comes to Ray, I absolutely cannot imagine anyone else playing that character than Daisy Ridley. I, don't, like, I would, I would, I think if, if I saw an announcement, that someone else was going to play Ray, I would actually be upset. <laughs> um, so that's weird. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the list of Jedi that could answer that call that I've heard other uh, other people talk about. Number one, Luke Skywalker. Number two, Ezra Bridger? Question mark. I don't think he's been found yet. I think that Ahsoka is still looking for Thrawn, which and Thrawn and Ezra ended up wherever they went together. So I don't think it's Ezra. Oh, I said I don't really want it to be Ezra because I, I don't know, he's fine. I guess I just if that's the like if that's the answer to this question, I'm just gonna be like, oh, okay. Uh, all right, who else could answer? I've heard some people throw up the name Mace Windu because, as we know, you're not really dead in Star Wars until you're really, really, really dead. And um, he went out, of, out the window minus a hand. That's absolutely within the Star Wars realm of not dead yet. So... Um, I just think that, like, mm, like, if 
if you imagine like whatever scene in whatever scene that like the Jedi turns up, imagine you've got like you know like shit's going nuts, people f- blaster bolts flying left and right, shit exploding, there's smoke everywhere, and then through the smoke you just see boom, purple. <laughs> purple lightsaber blade people would lose their minds oh my god i don't even really like mace windu (laughs) but i even i would be like yes (laughs) can you imagine that now i i'm not a at all a fan of the number of jedi it's turning out that there might have been during luke skywalker's era when yoda says when gone am i last of the jedi will you be I would, I think it's getting a bit ridiculous that Ezra was in the unknown reaches or wherever. Okay, he wasn't available to help. He was somewhere else. But Ahsoka Tano, where was she? Yeah, she's not a Jedi. I know. But come on, she is really kind of. Cal Kestis from... um, Jedi Fallen Fallen Order, who, like, again, I haven't played the game. I don't know um, what the deal is there. Is he alive by the time uh, Luke Skywalker leaves the farm? I don't know. But I just, you know, Kanan Jarrus, I guess he was, maybe he was dead by the time Luke. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Um, Could it be actually Force Ghosts that turn up? Then you got all sorts of options. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty exciting and re- very, really good writing, you know, laying that kind of stuff that make us all go, ooh, who's it going to be? Mm, I like that. Um, all right, so... Razor Crest gets vaporized. Moff Gideon sends these dark troopers to grab Grogu. And I didn't like their design. <laughs> um, I know they're based on a, a video game design or whatever. Dark Forces. Uh, but I thought they looked pretty stupid, actually. Especially the eyes. They have They have, like, super, like... Yeah, 90s video game, bad guy, evil eyes. I just, and I thought that the, like, in, instead of having jetpacks or whatever, they just have, like, rocket feet. And that looked really, I don't know. But even, like, the bod- the bodies of them and stuff, I didn't, I don't think they looked very cool at all. Um, hopefully, they're not a big part of the next, of the last couple of episodes, but we'll see, I guess. Um, Yeah. But you gotta, man, you gotta feel, you gotta feel for Dean Jaron. Uh, All he's got at the end of that is uh, the silver ball. That Grogu loves so much. And that Beskar steel. 
which is uh, definitely <laughs> Best Castile Right into the night Warriors on the battlefield Okay, there's a medieval steel reference. <laughs> Guaranteed, this is the only Star Wars podcast in the entire world making medieval steel references. All right. Um, now, there's a cool exchange with uh, Boba, you know, showing Din the chain code and explaining like this. Uh, this armor's been mine for 25 years and hamana hamana hamana. That was cool. I liked that. Uh, pretty nice to see that, you know, that, that thing where um, Boba says, like, uh, until Grogu is back with the Mandalorian, that they feel like their end of the bargain has not been held up. Um and that they're gonna they're gonna do what they can until that until that happens. That was cool. I like that too. Which brings us to Moff Gideon on his ship. I don't know what kind of ship that is or what it's called. Someone let me know. Um, great scene. Nah, okay. Negative first. Uh, the shot on the bridge. The like it was cool to see that like the hyperspace stuff. I it was kind of like ah. You know, it just gives you Star Wars flavor. It's great. Um, but the shot of him on the bridge as he's walking back, you know, back from the uh, the front panels, back towards the camera. I, th I really think that if they shot this on film, that kind of slight fuzziness or haze that you get with, with stuff that's shot on film, it would sell the look of this of that set for example better um with the christmas crispness of the digital photography to me it looks more like a set and not like a real place um i would love somebody out there who's a bit clever if they could um yeah like do a little edit on every episode of The Mandalorian and uh, put some film grain on there. Um, just to... I would love to watch it and have it look like... Um, you know, like... A, I mean, if you just do a film grain um, thing, so like, like even the new films, like they're not scratchy looking or anything, but they just have that look to them. Um but so I'd like to have that. But if they wanted to go full blown like vintage, like scratchy film look, I think that would actually look cool as well. Anyway, that leads us to a pretty awesome moment where Moff Gideon goes into the holding cell, where Baby Yoda is smacking the crap out of two star uh, stormtroopers with the Force. Um, it was a good combination of kind of funny, uh, but kind of sad and kind of tough um yeah um yeah it was really cool it was a little bit you know people often complain about uh maul pulling out the saber at the end of solo to be like 
look at my lightsaber. And I felt a bit that way with this, you know, with Moff Gideon pulling out the dark saber and waving it in his face a bit. Not sure that, that was very uh, necessary, but okay. Um, I totally misheard a line in that where he like he, he um, contacts the bridge or whatever and says like, inform uh, Dr. Pershing uh, we have our daughter, I thought he said. I was like, what are they like? Are they like, oh, guess what? It's not really a boy, it's a girl or... I'm not sure what that was about, but um, yeah, I totally misheard the line. It's actually we have our donor. Um, yeah, I just um, oh, one detail I forgot was that uh, yeah, he's track. He's gonna look for um, uh, Bill Burr's char- Bill Burr's character, um, Matt. Uh, Melking or Mal something, Menkowitz. Ah, I can't remember because he needs someone who knows Imperial, who can track Imperial ships on the team. So Bilbo, I'm assuming next next episode Bilbo is going to turn up, which is fun because I I think that the next episode is probably going to be directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Um, so uh, fun that they will be reunited. But yeah, Robert Re- Rodriguez directed this and it was cool. Uh, really good stuff. Um, and I'm not the first, the only person who noticed that they had little baby-sized binders for Baby Yoda. Which is a little bit ridiculous. Make sure we uh, buy a couple of pairs of uh, baby binders in case we need to bind a baby. All right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what can you do? Um... So all in all, I mean, I, I was just like, I the the things that I don't love. It's always um, it's not about story. I think like storyline wise, I've been really like chuffed with the whole show. Um, like I think, especially in the first season, there might have been a performance here or there, excuse me, that I didn't love. But this season has been much better, and visually this season's been a big step up, I would say. Um, The scale and scope of the show has been... That's a big step up. Um, But there's still, you know, a moment here or there, or stuff visually here or there that I think isn't quite a 10 out of 10. But having said that, um, I was vibrating after this episode. I remember, like... Uh, I just, I will use what my, my, uh, my routine is that I will get up on a Friday morning and watch the episode and then jump in with all the discussion that's happening online. And I'll watch some tasty YouTube videos and stuff to see people's reactions. And then later that evening, I'll, I'll watch it again for the second time. Uh, but this one, I was like, I got to watch it again right now. Um, yeah, awesome. And I just like, I've just been like, you know, I just get like hyperactive or even like scattered. Like, I don't, don't know what to do. Like, I should, 
should I have a shower? Oh, no, but I might want to go to the gym, so I don't need to take a shower now, but but I have to eat breakfast. But It's like, yeah, I'm just like, I think as, as the story ramps up, I just get more and more like nutty <laughs> after the episodes so um yeah super pumped it was an amazing episode and i just think that um so i'm, I'm a big much bigger fan of uh, the second episode in this season than a lot of people are because you know it didn't have the big like oh blah blah came back or um we found out more about blah, blah, or something. It was just, you know, like an action-adventure episode. But I just think it was done so well. Um, but, uh, yeah, what I'm saying is there's been such a good, like, um, I guess, flow or, like, uh, so much variation between the episodes. That I think... When you sit down, if if you want to like uh, maybe pick a day and marathon the whole of season two, I think it's all gonna be really interesting. You go from this like classic western to start off with Cobb Vanth, dude. Are we gonna see Cobb Vanth in the next two episodes? I wouldn't mind that at all. Um, yeah, this uh, opening like classic western. Then you get this like this the snow. Like aesthetically, each episode has a very different look. So you get the the snow, you get uh, yeah the the creature feature basically. Um, episode uh, the third episode of this season was um... oh so that was uh, yeah that okay yeah the third episode was of course um, Trask with um, Bo-Katan. That you know, water, watery, very a lot of water in that episode, and like a lot of like a tough military kind of action, Mandalorians flying in and stuff. Uh, the fourth episode, you got um, uh, Navarro and that facility. Um, much that was like a kind of yeah, like action packed one, and then the amazing like. Japanese aesthetic and Ahsoka and everything in that episode last week and now with this one uh, I just think like the f the uh, variation and flow between the episodes has been killer and um, like in the first season like episodes four and five were not Yeah, I think, you know, because there's so much TV now that's like like Game of Thrones or whatever that like every episode is building on all the big story points or storylines in the, in, the, in, the, in the show. And um, I can imagine, you know, like I think in that first season, you get that in the first three episodes and then starts to go off on these little side quests in a way and you're like but get on with the story you know um now of course those those episodes were ways of introducing characters that would then become you know like per mainstays of the show so they were there was a point to that um but it still it did feel a little bit like um 
I'm not going to say filler episode, but it felt a little bit more like filler episode. Um, but uh, I would say this season has felt less like that for me. Um, even, you know, episode two, which is the most like non-connected to the overall story, I still felt it was uh, just awesome and um, really enjoyed it. So the Mandalorian kicking ass. Nice to see again that um, the show is getting such a positive reaction from almost everyone. Great to see. All right. We are going to check out some uh, some bits from books. Here we go. All right. I am getting to the end of um, the spectacular making of The Empire Strikes Back by J.W. Rinsler. Uh, you may have heard, but he is battling cancer, sadly. Um, I think that especially when he has given so much to the Star Wars community with, I mean... The amount of of work that has gone into each of his absolutely essential making of books for the original trilogy films, I can't even begin to understand how <laughs> he uh, <clears throat> put that level of effort. So all the best to him uh, and big uh, buckets of gratitude for all his hard work. Uh, but this was a really fun, fun story. Um, I'm near the end of the book, so uh, we're basically we're at this point covering um, the the last special effects shots that they had to do for the film and uh, ADR, so additional dialogue recording. And uh, there was a fun uh, little thing about Harrison Ford. Um, this is Kirshner talking. Harrison was talking very fast in the cockpit set during the meteor scenes, Kirshner says. But when we went to dub him back in Hollywood later, he asked me to go check the projector. He said, I can't talk that fast. The projector's off. Of course, the projector was running at the right speed. So I said, you were speaking that fast because the adrenaline was high when you were doing the scene. I can't do it, he said. So we kept running the ADR over and over, and finally he got into it, and of course he could talk that fast. <laughs> I don't know why, that just tickled my, uh, tickled my fancy a bit. Um, yeah, I've, I mean, I've had that experience myself, um, playing music. Like with my band Night Viper, like uh, in the early days, our lovely drummer Yonna had a bit of a tendency to play way too fast live, um, which is not a terrible thing for a speed, not a terrible problem for a for a heavy metal band to have, you know? Um, but, like, I think that, like, if you sat me down here and said, like, all right, try to play along to the song at this tempo, I would be like, no, I can't, like, it's impossible. But... On stage, in the moment, we all managed it. So that was pretty cool. Um, another thing that was cool is, you know, like sometimes you hear stuff and you go like, I guess that's true, but it sounds like something that someone made up. So the original um, Emperor from The Empire Strikes Back, um, you might have heard that um, 
you know, it, it's a kind of a, a compos composite of a few different um, elements. There was a actress or actor and a, 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 an actor's voice. And you may have heard that the, the eyes were actually the eyes of a chimpanzee. And that is uh, not incorrect. That is true. The uh, eyes for the original um, emperor in in the Empire Strikes Back. Those are the eyes of a chimpanzee. Who could believe it? The other, the other, the one, one more fun thing from the book was um, so I like. I think in the original trilogy, there's maybe not more than one or two bits of acting or like line readings that I think are not that good. Like sometimes people say like, oh, there was like cheesy acting in the original trilogy. There wasn't. It was awesome. I thought, I think everyone was fantastic. Um, but one line that felt a little, always felt, or like something about the body language of the actor felt a bit so-so, I guess, was... Um, there is a line. Uh, it's, it's on. Um, it's in Echo Base when they're preparing to, you know, try to launch launch the transports. Um, I think the line. Yeah, the line is like, uh, "Group seven and ten will stay behind to fly the speeders. As soon as each transport is loaded, evacuation control will give clearance for immediate launch." Can you picture it in that mind? That scene. I've always felt like that. Yeah, like that doesn't. It's partly because they're acting in front of a map painting, which give, to me gives it a little bit of a feeling of unreality. I don't think they nailed that exactly right, but it's partly the, the guy delivering the line. It feels a bit, yeah, not Oscar-worthy performance-ish, to be honest. So it's interesting to read that the person uh, acting that part was actually Joe Johnston one of the most important people in all of Star Wars history because he was one of the main um, concept artists for the original trilogy. And he's actually the one who designed Boba Fett's, uh, the look of Boba Fett, speaking of Boba Fett. So Joe's amazing. Um, he also directed the first uh, Captain America film. So good on him there. Um so uh, let's hear a little, little bit about that. Um, here we go. Quote, Pretty late in the game, near the end of post-production, George wanted to add a scene right before the Rebel fleet leave Hoth, says Johnston. They needed a speaking part, so they auditioned anyone at ILM who wanted to do it. We had like 50 auditions, and it took all day for people to come in and read the line. I thought, well, uh, okay, I'll come in and do it. What the heck? I read the line, and for some reason, they picked me. And then I realized, damn it, now I have to do it. Uh, this is still, um, this is uh, now Richard Edlin speaking. Uh, Ralph did that particular painting, so it was kind of neat to have the guy who actually did the painting moving around in front of his own artwork, said Edlin. Uh, the reason for that is this, says Johnston. It was fun. Ralph is in the shot. Michael Pangrazio's in the shot. There's model builders going through the background. The line, I believe, was, as I said before, Group 7 and 10 will stay behind to fly the speeders. As soon as each transport is loaded, evacuation control will give clearance for immediate launch. So they started doing take after take. They just kept doing these takes. So I began thinking, 
I wonder if they're doing all these takes to try to get me to blow this line. I did 10 takes and never messed up the line. I'm not saying the acting was any good, but at least I didn't blow the line. It's funny to me that um, like I, I always in that moment felt like, ooh, I'm not sure about that, uh, that performance. And it turns out that performance was not given by an actor. <laughs> it was given by the, uh, the immortal Joe Johnston. So we forgive him, I'm sure. I had a similar experience with uh, the, the, that line from Rogue One. Where it was like, what's your call, call sign pilot or whatever? I always felt that sounded really clunky. McClunky. Uh, and it turned out it was, um, I can't remember, like Gary Witter or one of the writers or something. They got him in. They got them in to, to do that, and it was not a good performance. And I think it stood out actually. So my advice to you, Star Wars filmmakers, you know, from a guy who you know, I've never made even a single uh, film, never been involved, but I'm sure that my expertise can come in handy here when I say, maybe stop doing that kind of stuff. All right, here we go. Um. You know, since uh, I decided to do Solo next on the rewatch, I cracked out my um, making of Solo coffee table book by Rob Bredow to kind of relive some of the, the amazing photography in that book. And I'm really enjoying it. So I'm really looking forward to uh, getting back into this. Let's do it. Wee! Solo time. Man, I love this. Uh, and I love that on Disney Plus, I don't have to remember where I am. I just uh, hit continue watching and off we go. Ah, yeah. That's it. Okay, listen to this. That's one of the best lines in the movie. Um, now, this, these battle scenes on Mimban... These are among the, yeah, some of the best uh, war scenes in any Star Wars movie ever. It's just like, like, just the mud, the smoke, the explosions, the adats, soldiers just. It's the, you know, like Rogue One is supposed to be the gritty war movie of Star Wars, but this. This scene is grittier than, than anything in Rogue One. Here we go. We introduce the team. I love it. Rio, Val, random gunner who gets killed. You never really find out who he is because his stuff got cut from... Uh, cut got chucked on the cutting room floor <laughs> man this is making me mad I should just be watching it oh, okay no come on Tom yeah I just see this is the thing when people say like oh the Mandalorian like, like, looks perfect and stuff I'm just like you sure? like when was the last time you watched these movies like these new these new films are just like Visually delicious. I love the mud trooper design. 
I think this is one of the best designs in Star Wars history. Like, the Mud Troopers look super cool. I hope we get to see them again because it's like, it's nice. It's, it's like, it looks totally like an Imperial design. Um, but it's very World War II. And I love this, these shots of the trenches. Um, you've got an amazing mix of mud troopers and very filthy looking stormtroopers, which I think is really cool. Yeah, this does a great job of expanding on um, what the Empire was, you know. I think it's great to uh, keep building on, like, giving evidence of why they're the bad guys. Um, yeah, I like that little, that, that little red panel on the Mud Trooper uniforms, on the arm there. I mean, listen to this. Listen to that accent. That's an Imperial Officer's accent, Mandalorian. Come on. British people must be hired to play Imperial Officers. That is it. Mm. See, look at that. Look at, these, look at all these amazing looking extras. TV can't do that. Here's Val. I got mixed feelings about Val. Not about the character. She's awesome. Looks awesome. Uh, Tandy Newton's awesome. But the way she dies. Yeah, I'm not sure that anyone is super pumped about that aspect of the story. Um... It's really unfortunate because she's a, a really cool character. All right, but this is a cool scene. Han is trying to smarty pants his way into their team. But of course, whenever Han tries to smarty pants his way in or out of anything, it backfires. But okay, here's like when you know, when you hire someone like Woody Harrelson, this is part of what you get. It's coming up in a minute. There's a. Sh Super good. I just like... There's this shot where he's like chewing... I don't know. Like a throat lozenger or something. <laughs> Talking to, to Rio. Ah, alright. Yep, here he goes. This is a good bit. Yeah, if you're not interested in me, I'm sure they will be. Becca just like laughs, points at him, blackmail, eats another fucking black current juju or whatever. I just like that. That's why he's just like really good character. I love that that officer as well. It's like such World War Two like trench war fair vibes. I love the fur on the jacket. Oh my god. Okay. Are you ready? I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing it. This is one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Wars now. Han Solo meets Chewbacca. Now, 
for real, man. Like, what were the chances of this not being a disappointment? I mean, I'm not one of those people. Like, some people, like, they're like, oh, you got to show how blah, blah, meant blah, blah. And I'm like, not sure that the meeting, like, how people meet is not always interesting. I don't need to see how everybody met, you know. So, uh, you know, it's not like I've been wondering my whole life, how did Han and Chewie meet, you know. But, after having known characters for this long and then showing how they meet, it's hard to do it in a way that can live up to, like, those years that you've spent with those characters. But this scene of of Han being chucked in the pit with, quote-unquote, the Beast. Super good. And hats off to Alden Ehrenreich and uh, Jonas Suotamo for putting up with freezing cold mud for, for... I think they were there in that pit for like 10 days or something. Awful. But it's a hilarious moment. Um, whoa, when he just, like... Hurls Han at that pole. It's so like, it's so cool. And here it comes. Okay, turn this up again. You ready? <laughs> Han Solo speaking, speaking bad, bag, Shri Shri Wook, and then the. <laughs> The, the um the subtitles showing like how how bad his grammar is it's i think that's genius it's such a good um it's such a good sequence i just think it's got like when you think of like um the amount of charm that uh, Harrison Ford brings to that character i just think i think Alden he has it not all of it, because Harrison's special, I know that. Like, seriously, I would say the only thing that bothers me about Alden as Han is that he's a bit short. <laughs> Sorry. He just is. He's clearly shorter than Harrison. Um, I don't care that he doesn't look exactly like Harrison. I don't care that the voice is a bit higher. Because, I mean, seriously. Have you listened to Kevin Smith, like, old Kevin Smith podcast? That dude's voice has changed Oh, that's one of the best moments too. When when they get out and they start running and Han goes, follow me. And then Chewie runs in the complete opposite direction. And of course, Chewie is bigger and stronger. So Han just gets launched into the mud again. It's It's so watchable. It's like such a fun movie. Joke, the jokes are great. The characters are great. I mean, I mentioned uh, Yunus as um, as the new Chewie. You know, speaking of recasting. Ah, John Favreau as Rio. Here we go. Mm. Amazing. And then this is so... Okay. Like, like, see how many good moments and lines there are even in this, like, five to ten minute thing. Listen. Wow, is that a Wookiee? Listen. This bit is... I love this line. 
telling you, you will never have a deeper sleep than curled up in a Wookiee's lap. Come on. You will never have a deeper sleep than curled up in a Wookiee's lap. That's... That is Star Wars to me. <laughs> I just love it. Like, the silliness of it. I like this ship, the AT hauler. Yeah. Like, it's... Um, visually, it works, like, functionally for what it's supposed to be. Um, yeah. And then this. Come on. Han's in the shower getting the mud off. And guess who's joining in? Chewie. We couldn't have done this movie one at a time. Brilliant. And that's where I'm going to pause it. Whoo-wee. I really am that guy in the Monty Python. But I'm not full of food. I'm full of Star Wars. All right. Thanks. The next two episodes of uh, The Mandalorian are going to be extremely exciting. And what I love about it is that when those two episodes are over, I get to uh, go back to the beginning of season two and watch it all as one long five-hour movie, which I think is going to be amazing. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening. My name is Tom Sutton, and this is Star Wars Fun. Blip, blip, blip. Sorry, it's like, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. It's 2 a.m. Give me a break. Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me! Ah!